So g'day, Dominic Barford here, and this is the RBC Research Podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RBC podcast. We don't ask for much in return, but we're incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast, Acast, um, and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great, um, but we'd really appreciate a few minutes of your time to, to do that. So joining Brian and myself uh, in our remote studio, we're going to talk to Professor Jim Usherwood, who is the Wellcome Trust Senior Research Fellow um, and one of our professors of locomotion and biomechanics at, at the Structure Motion Lab here at the RBC. So thank you, Jim, for, for joining us. It's a pleasure. Good afternoon. And um, so, so I suppose we kind of like start with a with a with a journey, if 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 that's all, all, all right, uh, Jim, um, to to ask you sort of the the kind of the, the the path that you the research sort of path that you you followed. So, I, so what did you what did you do as a as an undergraduate? Well, if you sort of step one step back, uh, A levels was um, I found physics and, and biology were my cup of tea, uh, but maths was well, I was okay at. Uh, but not amazing. So I, yeah, I was an undergraduate zoologist, and then I found uh, biomechanics just fun at uh, a degree level, and skipped around the, the the world doing different bits of uh, biomechanics and different labs from there. So so what what um, made you interested in biomechanics? How did that how did that happen? Or at about the age of ten, I took up bird watching and uh, enjoyed watching birds flying around and wondered why why birds flew in different ways and uh, then it's just fun looking at a tree and wondering how it stands up and doesn't fall over when it gets blown back by the wind. It's just, um, you can really relate mechanics to uh, biology really very intuitively. And there are a few tricks that can get applied all over the place. So, so did you what, what did you do a PhD in biomechanics or? Uh, so I, I, I did a, a master's that did a bit of fluid mechanics and structures on, on buttercups. Uh, so I, I spent some time pulling out buttercups from some rivers up near Manchester and putting them in flow tunnels and seeing uh, when they'd break and uh, the, the forces that the buttercups could deal with uh, in a, a flume and doing a bit of structures on buttercups there. So I, I started on plants, weirdly enough. And then my PhD was uh, on the aerodynamics of uh, flapping wings, of insect wings, uh, using propeller models. And then my first postdoc was uh, a bit of human biomechanics and a bit of um, gibbons, gibbons swinging through through branches and on, on uh, force transducers. Second postdoc was on bird flight, so aerodynamics, and I, I developed a way of sticking pressure sensors uh, through bird feathers to, to work out the sorts of forces and powers of flapping. And then I came to, to join Alan Wilson at the IBC uh, on a postdoc for uh, looking at um, animal legs, and I, I sort of extended from there into fellowships. Well, and um, so when you when you first sort of started getting into the, the the biomechanics path, did you did you have someone to sort of guide you, or did you think, oh, that person is doing something interesting? I'd I'd like to take a look at that. How did that? Did you did you have a, as in a mentor or someone that you you look to 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 um, help guide you, or were you were you kind of seeing what was interesting yourself at the time? Uh, at an undergraduate level, I uh, there's a, a my tutor then was Henry Bennett Clark, and he uh, he was interested in how fleas jumped um, and how their elastic mechanisms worked and how they get some kind of height. So I uh, I was lucky enough to meet somebody who knew a bit about biomechanics at that stage 
and he sort of pointed me towards the whole world of, of biomechanics that was out there. Uh, so in some ways, yes, he set me on the path. Uh, and then it's just a dot to dot of interesting questions and opportunities that came along. And do you think is, is that what drives you, Jim? Like the, the, the sort of the, the questions that you want to answer or or um, or do you find yourself sort of focused on, say, bird flight for a while and then locomotion of I don't know, horses or ostriches or something like that as 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 the opportunity arises? As ever, it's a mixture of the two. Um, there are lots of interesting questions out there. Uh, it's possibly better to focus on the questions that you've been asked to look at for today. Uh, but I've been lucky to be, you know, uh, I've been given a fair amount of uh, room to wiggle from there. And some questions can get answered very quickly if you just happen to stumble on on a neat answer. So it, it's a bit of both. If if you're you're asked to be looking at bird flight, you better be looking at bird flight. Um, but other questions can appear all the time. And so, so what have you? What are you currently um, looking at or investigating the moment? So I, I've got two tracks uh, at the moment. One is um, how different animals of different sizes cope with moving around. Uh, so the influences of size and time. So small things don't have much time to do stuff. Big things have a lot of time. And so the intersection of mechanics and what muscles can do. Uh, can explain an awful lot. Um, so that's one one aspect. And the other aspect I'm, I'm tangling myself up with is is the world of linkages. If you're thinking of, of, of legs as being made of muscles and bones, then they get to pull each other in some very uh, interesting geometric ways that uh, takes you back to some really classic mechanics. And we can't just look at a leg and think, oh, it's a bit like a, a pogo stick in a spring. Uh, the complicated bits of bones and muscles pulling in all sorts of different directions is is something that I'm trying to get my head around. There's lots of Lego at the moment. And is Lego a good model for what you what you're trying to look at? Oh, it's excellent. Uh, you can do all the geometry you want on a computer, but you don't really believe it until you've got a couple of bits of string and a, a Lego working model in front of you. Uh, so yes, I have bought more Lego than is perhaps um, normal. So, so it's not for your your own sort of uh, hobbies outside of, of the research. It's more more linked to the to the research itself. Yes, uh, there may be a bit of blurring along the lines there, but I'll never admit it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and so, when you're in, in investigating things, do you do you have a um, does it kind of tend to follow a certain a certain path, or or as you said, like some things might be a bit a, a bit of luck thrown in there oh yes uh, you've got to nod to the luck um i i suppose my philosophy my starting point uh, is always what would uh, minimize the work uh what's the easiest way of doing it and then you need to add layers on top of it because uh, we know that wheels are very good and propellers are very good and we know that animals don't particularly use wheels and propellers and getting the right level of um, addition to put onto this world of sliding and, and gliding and propellers uh, that makes it sensible for, for animals uh, is sort of the trick. So I would start with um, sort of constraints to the simplest engineering solution for a particular task of going along through the air or swimming or, or going across a, a, a level surface. 
we know what the engineers would say, and then we have to ask questions as to to why animals don't do that. And and do you find to to what's the the draw to looking at at, at animals, Jim, rather than um, like one species like like humans, or have humans been investigated too thoroughly? Oh no, uh, humans uh, raise a whole load of questions that I am also interested in. So I'm perfectly happy to to look at humans, uh, and the comparative uh, world really helps you avoid saying silly things about humans. Um, so you could think of humans as being special and having two legs and all the forces they produce. Is this down to our particular joints and our particular muscles and our particular evolution? You've got to be a bit careful because you can then look at an ostrich and go, there are a lot of similarities with an ostrich, which is oh, 300 million years off us, has different joints, different muscles, different brains, different everything. But in a lot of respects, uh, does the same kind of uh, tricks in walking and running as a, a human does. So yes, humans are are interesting, uh, and in some respects special. But in other respects, they they fit into the world of mechanics and muscles, uh, just like every other animal. And um, and looking at flight, does that does that pose like a lot more complications than um, than locomotion? Uh, yes and no, as ever. Uh, <laughs> Flight, flight is much, much easier than swimming, put it this way. You know that flying is really, really hard. And so almost any feature you relate to flying is probably about the flying. Whereas if you look at a tree standing up or a fish blobbing around in water, there are lots of ways to stand up and there are lots of ways to blob around in water. So you could easily be looking at uh, tricks that aren't anything to do with standing up or, or swimming. Whereas if you're looking at... Um, a flapping bird, my, they're, 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 um, the selection on getting the wings right is huge. So the go-to trick uh, that a lot of biologists use of, of uh, assuming adaptation, a, a sensible form related to function, that sort of does work with flight. And, and you don't have much pushback from, from reviewers when you go, let us assume that these wings are good in some way for flying. Now let's sort out what ways they're good. Um, whereas other systems you go, yeah, yeah, maybe these legs are good for running or maybe they're good for standing still or maybe they're good for accelerating. Um, bird wings, yes, take off, gliding. It, there's a bit of variation, but but really it's uh, it's sort of easy to look at a bird and go, those wings are for, for flying with, aren't they? I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. But I suppose that, that certain adaptations that might, um, for, I don't know, like birds that stay on the wing the whole time or long range compared to those that, uh, um, I suppose, predate or, or things. Yeah, so they've got a nice range of diversity, but it, it's fundamentally quite hard to keep yourself in the air. Yeah. So, yes, you've got a, a whole range of different birds. Well, in other respects, they're quite similar. They, they, they have two wings and a bunch of feathers, uh, and they, 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 they flap to stay up. Um, if you look at the range of things that uh, fish can do, uh, it's, it's easy to swim. <laughs> and, and when you were looking at flight, because you said you looked at um, insect flight before that, were there lots of similarities with, with bird flight, or, or did you have to look at things differently? Uh, so the background there is we, we've all been brought up to think that uh, scale makes a huge difference to aerodynamics, that the, the, the world of uh, small and slow flying things is a world of uh, stickiness, of high viscosity, and that you should uh, worry about this immensely uh, as you go from 
small flying things to birds to airplanes. This this feeling issue should be uh, vitally important. And uh, I found that this was very much not the case. You could, uh, if you understood things at the level of a hawk moth, the, the, the forces and the flows, yeah, they might look different in, in, in detail as you, you as you get up to, to the birds. But uh, in a broader sense, uh, the same tricks sort of work across a huge range of scales. So it was um, a bit of a change of, of emphasis that was needed there. Um, insects, in some respects, are, are simpler. The, the, the range of things they can do with their wings, in some respects, are, are more limited than those with birds. Um, but it does depend which insect you're looking at under what conditions. Uh, so yes, during the PhD, it was very much focused on the, the simplest model insects. Uh, but I'm aware that there are uh, there are plenty of tricky uh, things out there with uh, multiple pairs of wings and really deflecting um, deflecting wings, bendy wings, which complicate things enormously. So, so can I ask you sort of fundamentally, like how do you actually? go about studying the um the flight of a of an insect or bird like and was was there equipment that you almost had to to design to help you with this so my my phd was coming on the back of uh charlie ellington's great uh work um he was chasing down uh this question how on earth do insects make uh, get so much lift when they're not flapping their wings nearly uh, fast enough so if you followed standard uh, aerodynamic propeller analysis. Uh, there's a real puzzle as to how insects were getting uh, enough lift to support their weight, and and that puzzle had been out there for a few years. And and he was um, he had made this great um, robotic hawk moth, uh, a scaled, a big, slow robotic hawk moth, and he was being able to see that uh, this complicated thing produced a certain flow structures, certain vortices that that started to points to how uh, insects could stay in the air. And then my PhD uh, was was sort of taking that apart and removing all the cleverness and seeing which bits were uh, which which bits were important. And so my PhD was actually using um, propeller models. So just just wings that went gently round in circles. Um, and, and, and that, if you get the right wings at the, at the right uh, angle of attack, then they produce far more lift than you would expect from conventional propellers. Um, so yes, I, I was following on from, from uh, Charlie Ellington's work there. And then moving on to uh, the birds, uh, more and more feeling was that the birds were probably actually using the same tricks um, and getting a lot of lift from their wings. And the uh, techniques I developed there was uh, with these pressure sensors, uh, small light pressure sensors that you could poke through uh, bird feathers. Um, and then you could start working out which bits of the wing were producing the lift and how much power it took to flap. Wow. Did, did you find that um, so it, it is inventing, or I suppose the, the use of these techniques, is that part of the interest as well that you have in in answering these questions? Yes. You like the tech stuff? Uh, the, the, the tech stuff. Um, the tech stuff is appealing. It can... Uh, as always, you get inspired by the people near you. Uh, what can you do? Gosh, that'd be cool. Uh, I'm trying to measure this. How do I do it? Oh, like that. At the same time, uh, I think an awful lot has already been measured and we know an awful lot of stuff, but we don't have the, the uh, framework to understand it with yet. And in some ways, I'm leaning more on, on that side. 
And yes, there are some amazing technical advances that mean you can uh, measure new things and answer different que uh, new questions. But in some ways, the old questions are are also unanswered. And, and have you found it um, increasingly harder um, to um, get research done sort of today compared to when you started your career? Have you found it difficult, harder to get grants or, or because you're quite, um, I suppose, like niche in what you're, you're doing that it's getting easier? Or do you find that, that uh, the landscape of research has changed over your career? Uh, I think realistically, I, I have too small a sample size to comment on that sensibly. Um, I've been having job applications, grants, applications, fellowship applications rejected for fairly consistently for a while. And I've been uh, bouncing along on just having enough to keep going with uh, as a fairly steady state so far. Uh, what I'll be doing in two years, who knows? But uh, that's that's one of the stresses of academic life, isn't it? And and at what point do you, or have you ever thought that, um, well, I don't want that stress anymore? Is it the drive that you, you, you still very much enjoy what you're doing and continue to ask, answer questions? Uh, in some ways, I, I've completely overexpressed the stress aspect. Um, it, it, it's a lovely life. I, I, I'm not living hand to mouth. Um, if I had to change slightly what I was doing, that, that, that would be fine. Um, there have been stages uh, in, in my sort of academic development, there are stages where you go, oh, if I don't get a postdoc here or if I don't get a research fellowship here, then I'm actually unemployed. And happily at this stage, um, I'm probably now past that. So realistically, it's, it's, it's not that stressful for me. Um, having said that, I, um, were you to say, when did I actually get a secure job? I was 39 by, by the time I got a, a, an actual job. So that's quite late on in a, in a career. Well, you say an actual job, but you, you were doing a lot of, a lot of postdocs before that. Postdocs and fellowships, but the, the, the bit where um, in the American system you'd say, have you got tenure? Yes, I've yeah. got tenure at 39. <laughs> um, prior to that, I was just a, a jobbing fellow. And, and do, you, do you think that you've... Um... See, looking back at that, were there different like forks in your career where you could have gone more? I suppose one one way with you, you said you started looking at buttercups, more plant based than than insect and and now and now animals. Were there junctions that you're um, that you you look back and you think, oh, that was an interesting route that I've taken, or do you think that was quite quite deliberate? And I suppose to follow up with that, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what what do you think you would be doing? Uh... In some ways, my, my career path has been following exactly all the jobs I've been offered at, at every stage. Um, <laughs> so uh, I haven't been choosing from a large array at each stage. Um, so yes, I've been following the opportunities that have been ahead. Equally, when, uh, once an opportunity is offered, I don't go about chasing a different one because I look forward to the one I've got. Um, so yes, bouncing from opportunity to opportunity. If there had been a three-year gap when there wasn't a postdoc or there wasn't a fellowship and, and I was just going to, to lose money, then I guess teaching uh, would be the fallback. Uh, I come from a very teaching family with grandparents, parents on both sides, sisters, sisters-in-law. I'm surrounded by teachers. Um, 
And so that would be the fallback option. And and what would you see so when you have uh, young researchers sort of spending time with you or doing master or, or PhDs? So what do you do? You think about giving them advice sort of today, or or um, and what I suppose what advice would you give someone who's who wants to follow a research path today? Uh, it's tricky. Um, of course, the only path I really know is the path I've taken, and. That that's not a, a, a thoroughly sampled one. So uh, I, I am cautious about saying you should do it my way. Um, having said that, I guess if it's if it's research you actually want to do, you need to have a series of research projects that you actually want to know the answer to. Uh, that was a, a bit of advice passed to me was if you wouldn't actually spend your own money on the book that tells you the answer to this question, then are you really going to go and work hard enough to find out what the answer is? Uh, so questions that you're interested in. And then the other aspect is, uh, are you prepared to take a bit of a risk? Are you in a good position to take a bit of a risk? Um, so as I say, I, I, I got my, my first proper job relatively late. So there have been times when I could have been without money and without a job till quite late, late on in life. And that is a, a risky thing to do in some respects. And I would say to somebody interested in research, then face that risk with a um, a bold face. Of course, you're not going to starve. You, you by the time you're you're looking through PhDs and postdocs, you're immensely employable in all sorts of different ways. And if research doesn't work out, well, you're not going to starve. Uh, so um, I found it worth the risk, uh, but I did go in with my eyes open that it, it could just stop uh, at many different stages yeah that's not depressing doesn't it <laughs> not at all not at all and you and if some of your contemporaries gone off and, and done other things like left the the research world altogether do you think that's quite a, a, a not an uncommon occurrence oh indeed and um there's no real feeling that it's the the bad ones that fall by the wayside there's an aspect of oh it's just dumb luck or Done, done bad luck, or other pressures became more important at the time. And what, what is the um, so? This one, in the research that you've done, what are the, the the areas or things that you're most proud about? If you can be modest, uh, most proud about. Um, there's been some. Uh, there's an idea that's been uh, hatching over the last five, six, seven years that. Uh, sort of explains why small animals are different from big animals, why small children don't get off the ground when they run, why small birds uh, flap and bound. And then this one idea uh, I applied this summer to why the fastest animals aren't the biggest and aren't the smallest. And and, and the one concept can be spread uh, right across there too. Um, It's a very simple scaling issue that, that, that points to uh, what muscles can do uh, doesn't scale with how big animals are. But, uh, muscles can only do so much. They can only produce so much power. They can only produce so much work. And once I recognise that, then I can apply it to all sorts of different uh, cases. Um, and it's a very powerful concept. So, yes, that's the thing that I'm most pleased by at the moment. And um, where, where is that taking you? Uh, more and more to... Uh, I suppose um, a good coverall for, for for what this job is is trying to understand uh, what animals are doing, why they're doing it that way, with an eye to um, 
could we do it better? And, and if it's going wrong, which bits do we have to help out on? Um, and I suppose in, in the applied future, I've, I've got these uh, ideas of what, how muscle, um, how muscle properties affect how things uh, move around. And so at some point, what happens if your muscle properties change? Does that account for how your locomotion does change and how should it change? So uh, obviously aging is a big one. You could look at um, how old people how old people's gait change and relate it somewhat to being similar to uh, children's gaits. And can I then relate that to uh, how their muscles are changing? Um, so yeah, that would be an, uh, an applied end to my, my work. And, and can I ask as well, Jim, are there, are there um, animals or, or uh, um, you know, animals, birds, insects or, or anything that you like a particular species or, or maybe more than that, do you actually, you think, oh, that, that's a, something I want to look at how they, how they do that. Or, or are you, you just, and anything comes your way is, is quite interesting, but are there, are there certain animals or insects that, that pique your interest? Uh, familiarity doesn't half help. So uh, sitting in my, my garden shed here, I've got coming over me, uh, both red kites and magpies. And there are a lot of questions to be answered with both of those. If you, if you look closely at the magpie flying, you'll see them go flap, 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 flap. And if you could get an answer to why that is in both aerodynamics and muscle physiology, then you would be going quite a few steps further. And then, of course, you've got the kites coming over and, and they're able to glide so slowly in really blustery wind and, and, and doing things that um, small aircraft find really hard. And I can't believe that red kites are amazingly clever and, and, and uh, are, are super animals. So I, I, I quite like to understand some of the tricks they're using to, to cope. It is quite impressive. Isn't it? I saw a, a, a group of people were sitting on a, um, by a cliff watching a hawk just remain still looking down at, at something it was it was interested in but it is quite amazing to how still they can be in whatever whatever wind i was i was it is quite in awe of the gorgeous thing he's going to tell you there's probably a kestrel and there's probably a falcon but <laughs> <laughs> probably probably it, it was on the case of australia it could have been anything um but um but yeah no no they're, they're pretty pretty impressive for for sure um, and um, and so so you've you've come to the RBC and can I ask so so is that if you're a, a career researcher, do did the institution does it does it matter does it help does it benefit or or does it give different opportunities? So I suppose like why why the RBC? Uh, why the RBC is uh, simple. Um, there's a. Uh, Alan Wilson had uh, put together the uh, Structure and Motion Lab a few years before uh, employing me as a postdoc, and it is the focus of, of people who do the sorts of things I do. So you, you could have had a, a similar conversation with quite a number of people and get sort of indistinguishable uh, answers, and that's fantastic. There's a, there's a group here that um, can rub along together and understand what we're all doing. Uh, and that's a remarkable opportunity. Uh, you don't meet that in many places in the world. So yes, it's it's the it's a lab group um, 
is the amazing uh, aspect. And of course, there are other opportunities. Um, if, if anybody uh, hasn't yet wandered around the Structural Motion Labs, then do. Uh, they're great. You can run a greyhound across one and you can fly a, a, an eagle down another. So to have that much space is, is uh, very nice. And to have enough people with enough high-speed cameras and force plates and electronics understanding to go, oh, if you want to measure that, you'll need one of these then, without having to go, in five years' time, I want to be able to measure something. Um, that, that, that's a great opportunity as well. Uh, we can do research and approach interesting questions so quickly. Uh, it's very unusual. And are, are there other groups um, around the world doing sort of similar things in, in similar ways? And, and um are, are you like doing any collaborations with other other people? Uh, so my 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 past. Uh, what did I go through? Three, four, five universities before before turning up here, and of course I've got uh, connections with my my friends from there, and they all move around. So yes, I I, I uh, collaborate with with people I've met and worked with before. They they often have. Um, really interesting stuff in their hard drives that they're very willing to share. Um, I've just published something with with somebody I hadn't worked with before who just came up to me at a conference and said, your model predicts this? Well, look at all my data. And he just dumped a huge amount, uh, five, six, seven years worth of data uh, on, on my, my servers. So we could then look at it, uh, apply my models to it. And, and uh, yes, in, in this day and age it's amazingly easy to collaborate as long as uh, everyone knows what the deal is um so yes he, he was very generous with his data uh, so yes uh, and international collaboration of course in the days of zoom and teams and and whatnot is is really very easy uh, so yes i collaborate all over and and is there um so you, you talked about what you uh, are, are asking at the, at the moment the questions you'd like to ask but but in in any field is there any any particular uh, research question, if there was one question you'd like to um, answer, what what might that be? In any field? Yeah. Uh, that, that's nice and big, isn't it? Um, mm. I don't know what hasn't been answered yet. <laughs> that's the thing. In, in some ways, uh, I work very hard to know what the question is and to be able to put it neatly. And that, that is a large part of, of my job, is, is spotting the question in my field. To go, oh, physicists, why haven't you worked out nah, yet? Uh, it, it would be a bit dangerous. The physicists would either turn around and say, that's not a question, or they'd say, well, we did that 300 years ago. So um, apart from curing cancer and uh, world debt and global politics, then no, I'm going, I'm going to back off on that one. I think I think that's I think that's fair fair enough absolutely, um, but it, it, it's a a good point about like working out what the what the question is. So, do you does that come to you from what you read about your subject, or can it come from you looking at something else or reading something else? So when you when you think about that a problem, how do you actually come up with that question? I oh, see. It's 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 um, in some ways. Some very wise people mentioned to me that it, it's a bit dangerous to spend all your time reading. Uh, you get the feeling that all, an, uh, all answers have been, all, all questions have been answered already, that, that, that we understand stuff. And um, if you pick up a, uh, an undergraduate textbook, 
it does tend to to make out that people understand things. Um, and then if you don't read stuff and then go, huh, I wonder what the answer is, could it be that? And then you poke through the literature and go, they came to a different answer that doesn't work. Uh, in some ways, that's the route to discovery. Um, so yes, ha having a good idea of what it should be in your own mind. And then you can often enough find that, that in the literature there is a better answer and your own stupid answer was just stupid. Um, but it does give you the chance to get something new that hasn't been thought of before and to spot those little areas where those questions haven't really been answered yet. Uh, and there are a lot of them. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> and they get more, more questions, I, su I suppose, as, as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and there's always aspects of, of, of testing whether your answer is any good and how, how broadly applicable it is and how many ifs and buts and caveats you have to put into an answer. Um, yeah, it's, it's a scientific process, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and um, you, you obviously worked uh, worked very hard for for doing what you what you do. And could I, could I ask do you, what um, what mechanisms do you have to uh, to unwind or or to uh, to to relax in this day and age when mental health is is predominant on on everyone's sort of minds? Do you do you manage to to switch off from work? Uh, do I manage to switch off from work? In in some ways, work isn't a thing. Um... I feel as though I ought to be putting down. So where you might go and do a crossword puzzle or play a game of chess, I'm quite happy to sit with a piece of paper and doodle the next model or play with a little bit of Lego and go, oh, I wonder how that works. So um, I don't feel particularly driven to put stuff down. But of course, there's the uh, sanity aspect and yes, having a, a, a mix of family and friends and sport and enjoying food and going outside and all those uh, sensible things. Uh, yeah, it's, there's a good answer. <laughs> there's a nice no, 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 answer. Absolutely. But, you, but you, you kind of almost play is probably the wrong word, but, but, um, but in, enjoy the, the, just the, I suppose, the biomechanics and I suppose it's quite hands-on in, your discoveries yeah uh, and having people near you who remind you that that um, your latest equation or detailed model or cleverness is only so interesting to somebody else who's cooking you supper or a child who's waving something at you yeah that's, that's nice you, you did some work too yeah yeah it doesn't work too uh, <laughs> Family's a leveller, isn't it? Every, yeah. Everyone. Has, I think that'd be very clever. You think you'd be very clever. One all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, well, on, on that note, thank you. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your time, uh, uh, Jim. It's a, a, a delight to um, speak to you, and, and maybe we can. Uh, delve into uh, a minutia of, of one of your uh, um, projects uh, maybe next time that'll be great fun <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much thanks at all cheers we'll wrap it up there thank many thanks again for your time professor usherwood um, and thank you for listening don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device and that way you don't have to worry about missing a podcast if you could leave a five-star review on apple podcast or any um, podcast provider that you have that enables you to leave a review that would be great don't forget to tell your friends let friends or others and we'll place some show notes on the rvc pages so if you just type in uh, RVC Research Podcast into your search engine of choice. It should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Don Barfield.
Until next time, bye-bye.